More than 20 years ago, I had no concept of company culture. I mean, nothing. In public accounting, my first job, I suppose that I pray that I wouldn't get some jerk for an in-charge manager or partner. That didn't always work out too well. Then I started work in private industry, and there was not much training on company culture or even team culture. I, I think it was just expected that we were all supposed to act civil toward one another. I venture to say that it wasn't until I was introduced to the writing of Patrick Lencioni around 2005, I believe, and that's when culture became more ingrained in my mind, and it does make a huge difference in the success of a company where that's a focal point. And regarding this episode, I just finished listening to Powerful by Patty McCord, and it's one of my favorite books on company culture. Bruce Reed, he's the CFO of PracticeLink, and he agrees with that assessment too. I'm Mark Gandy, and this is CFO Bookshelf. And in this show, us no-name CFOs, we are going to break down the big ideas in the book Powerful by the once HR leader at Netflix. Again, I want to thank Bruce Reed for joining me. He's the current and the first CFO of PracticeLink, one of my favorite companies, and I love their owner. Ken, hope you're listening. I suggested the book Powerful to Bruce after I listened to it for about, I think, the third time, and he really liked it too. So I just suggested we hit record and just start talking about it. But before we started addressing Patty's book, I first wanted to hear Bruce talk about what it means to be a lifelong learner. Why? Because I picked up on that when I first met him over lunch. Well, I, I think lifelong learning is really being open to um, to building skills, to gaining knowledge, uh, to gaining experiences, and and to do that in in a variety of ways. Whether you know, as a um, as a financial professional, CPE um, is is necessary. Um, and there's a bunch of different ways to find it. And, and, and one of the nice things about living in this time is that there's so many different avenues to continue to learn. Um, a lot of CPE credits in LinkedIn learning uh, for a variety of things. Uh, you don't just have to, it's not all just general ledgers and debits and credits. It's, you know, you can get it for, for search engine optimization. Uh, you can get it for, you know, a variety of things. Um <clears throat> reading books, listening to books, um, listening to podcasts. Um, you know, there's, there's so many opportunities and it used to be, you had to invest a little bit out of pocket. And in these days you can, you can lifelong learn without breaking the bank. You and I love business. When I say love business, we're not just financial geeks. We like every aspect of the business. Mm -hmm. Finding customers, getting customers, serving customers, and then everything else is just support, right? It's overhead. Yeah. We like every facet of business. And we also like what becomes before finding, getting, 
and serving, and that's the innovation. So I listened to a book for about the third time when I'm, when I'm, so I listen. I, I, I'm, I'm old. I'm, I'm the senior statement states person of this, uh, duo here. So yours truly walks about one hour every night. I do it for two reasons, mainly just to clear my head, uh, the exercise. Although I think, I think I burn like one calorie per mile when you walk, it just seems so <laughs> very easy when you used to run, uh, earlier. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I actually, I, I, my fastest mile, Bruce, five forty-five uh, wow. at one time. And that, that was in my thirties. Wow. So yeah, walking is slow, but what I learned is that you can listen to a lot of books when you walk one hour yeah. a night. So yep. I'd listened to Titan and I felt like I'd walk from St. Louis, Missouri to San Antonio to finish that book. That's how long it felt. So when I do a book like that, I need something that's quick, easy. I'll go to my library of about 3000 books and I'll find something that I like impactful and I have about 30 books that I like to re-listen to. Mm-hmm. And one of them was Patty McCord's uh, Powerful. I love that book. And she's not a finance person. She's a, I even hate to call her an HR person. She's a talent person. Yeah. She's a people uh, person. She, she is, she, she's as phenomenal. She could be a CEO anywhere. I have to look at her LinkedIn profile. Maybe she has been a CEO before if not she should be or could be so her book is is powerful and i'd forgotten how good it was and then i suggested it uh, to you and then you listened to it right yeah and so you really enjoyed it and then you and i talked about hey we ought to do uh just a a quick discussion about this yeah i thought heck yes yes is right so first question i have for you is why does a CFO dude, a really cool CFO dude, enjoy a book like this that's not about financial leadership? Well, I mean, I so I would I would argue that a lot of what is talked about in the book um, relates directly to financial leadership. But I, more on that in a second. But you know, I think I mean she. Patty is clearly a strong business person with a strong business mind. Uh, she also talks in the book about um, how the, you know the right HR person should be should know the business from beginning to end. Um, so you know she describes a, an HR professional that's you know not um, all tied up in the administrative and, and is is about leadership. And then as far as financial goes, uh, a lot of the decisions they made. Uh, at Netflix regarding higher pay, uh, different levels of compensation. They go, they go into compensation, both psychology and kind of the structure of it. But then also the one, one anecdote about a, um, you know, somebody who was going to make a huge contribution had been, uh, their salary expectations had been inflated by, by Google. And, um, you know, she was, was upset, angry. Why are we always having to, um, to compete with them and then suddenly had the epiphany that given the skills that this person had developed and the value that they could bring to the organization, 
they could afford to pay this person this this um, this huge amount and raise the pay of some of the other people in the department because what they were going to do for the the revenue and for the bottom line of the company was going to it was easily going to pay for itself several times over. So, yeah, so it's so it's kind of a financial book in some ways. We I would say in the last 12 to 13 years, I would say ever since the blogging era started, somebody took it upon themselves to say that uh, CFOs need to be like this. CFOs used to be like this. Now they need to be like this. They need to be strategists. They need to be storytellers that they need to quit thinking about the past. And I'm thinking, I guess I missed that memo because my first controllership position in the, in the late 1990s, I didn't, I didn't do any accounting. I, I never did journal entries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone else did all that. I, I went to meetings that had nothing to do with accounting uh, I mean, there's an impact of finance. So I'm sharing all this because I have a feeling in the HR space, they get beat up on a lot. You, you know, you, you need to quit being compliant oriented. You need to be the talent seeker or you need to be the, the culture creator. So I, I have a feeling no, no matter what specialty you're in, you have these bloggers or writer that say you need to do this instead of that. I would suggest that Patty already has this instinct to go in and she sees what's going on with the, 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 the what's the vibe? What's the culture like? Are we just bringing on any employee that, that is a warm body that can do the job She's probably not compliance centric by nature. Right. And if someone were to say, you need to do this instead of that, she'd probably say, I don't know what you're talking about. I already like doing this type of work. As you were reading Patty, did you kind of figure out that she's this type of HR person instead of kind of the compliance type person that you and I have been accustomed to maybe earlier? In our careers, yeah, she she seemed completely unconstrained by anything other than what's best for the business, um, and and that's you know that that's um, I'd say that's not the stereotype that the that that profession that the HR profession um, gets in, in in large part unfairly. You know, I've I've worked with I've worked with several. Um, HR professionals, um, recruited, you know, who you know, may or may not have had recruiting responsibilities as well, who also had a very business, you know, a, a, a real strong business savvy, um, but have also worked with others who, um, had gone astray at some point or another and were, were more of a detriment and a drag on, on success than, than a help. Is it fair to say, and again, someone has to do, I mean, there are Department of Labor laws, which I know nothing about. So if I say something that doesn't make sense, it's probably because I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to compliance, when it comes to people. But 
is it fair to say that the whole purpose objective of someone who runs what we call HR is all about finding talent, getting talent, and then keeping and developing talent. Does that holistically encompass everything that an HR person should be responsible for? You may say, well, Mark, that should be everybody's job, but would you say that's one of the main jobs of the HR leader? Yeah, I think um, I would. I think you're also reading my mind uh, with regard to the rest of of the organization. Another another part of the book that I thought was really um, that I that I liked was the where they talked about the hiring manager of the one department who you know was was blaming you know was doing a lot of blaming and wasn't you know one of the better recruiters. This person, this this hiring manager, wasn't responding to the recruiters' emails, phone calls. Uh, was was being difficult and you know and regrettably I think for this individual um, made the comment to Patty you know <clears throat> when 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 confronted that you know it's it's that recruiter's job to fill my role and you know that's you know that again that kind of culture of blame you know my guess is that 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 hiring manager was was not a good fit for a lot of other reasons as well. Um, you know, just based on that, that, that outlook and that comment. And yeah, we're all busy and it's, you know, and I, I, I did also like the other, I like the one thing that, that Patty talked about where, you know, it was, you know, no other meeting trumped an interview. <clears throat> and I thought that was a strong point, you know, cause you learn and, and her, her sub point being an applicant learns a lot about of company in how they're treated during the hiring process. And right. the rule was, if you saw what looked to be a, um, you know, a potential candidate sitting by themselves, you were expected to go up and say, you know, Hey, who are you seeing here today? Who are you, um, who are you meeting? Can I help you? Can I help get you, you know, there, you know, anything I can do, you know, and, and Patty saying there was one point where she had, you know, come to an interview and said, did anybody talk to you? And she said, yeah, like six people. You know, so you, so I think from, you know, man, I think, I think I've got, I've gotten off of what the, what the question was, but yeah, that's, I think it's, it's the responsibility to drive and be the leader and the champion of that culture and of that responsibility of, of getting the best, you know, finding the best, obtaining the best and keeping the best. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. In the context of this book, powerful 
what is the difference between facts <laughs> and data? Uh, well, you like that one, I, didn't I you? did. I did because you know I think we've we've become um, over time, and particularly with the ability to generate and accumulate all of this data, and we always talk about you know being data driven, and um, you know don't give me an opinion, give me data, um, and you know, data only takes you so far uh, that what you really need to make decisions on are facts. And facts also include you know, the interpretation of specific events. They're not necessarily number-driven. Um, and I thought one of the other, the other point that, that she made that I was, you know, actually I was pulling weeds at the time and you know, I was standing in the middle of my yard going, yes, yes. And then hoping that nobody had, you know, nobody had seen me acting like a crazy person. But, um, and they talked about how, you know, sometimes data is actually used to, you know, solely for the purpose of, of confirming a previously held opinion that may or may not be based in facts. So it's, you know, it's all the, and, and the, you know, the truly talented leaders are the ones who are able to assemble the available facts and make the best possible decision based on limited information. And, I'll, and that makes complete sense. That's pretty cool. You and I both like to poke fun, and I don't think I'm the only one. I think this is probably universal, the whole concept of the annual assessment. Mm -hmm. I think we can guess where, what, what, as, as we draw a line in the sand, what line, what side she's on, but does she like annual assessments or not? Well, that was a big no. Um, and because <clears throat> they're, Typically, well, first of all, if you're waiting for a year to give somebody feedback, um, that's not fair to anyone and it's probably not going to generate success. Uh, the second thing is you don't, if you're going to establish, and, and we'll get into compensation and, and tying compensation to, to performance reviews, um, we may get into that as well. But you know, by the time you get to the end of that annual period, you know, the needs of the company may have may have changed 180 degrees and the, you know, what may, may have made sense, you know, a year ago doesn't make sense when it's actually time to, to start sitting down and, and doing it. So it was, you know, her point really being, you know, feedback's got to be almost constant and should, you know, if you want to set a time frame on it, you know, should be no, no greater. I think it's always funny talking about books because I, I could be wrong in this, but I think it, I think basically what she what she said was quarterly is probably longer than than anybody should really wait, you know. And I think and then to that point, and I'm, I'm, this is my own inference, you got to make it simple and direct, and it's got to be easily whatever those whatever that performance expectation is can't take a lot of time to, you know, to collect everything, to have the conversation, because, you know, depending on how many employees you've got, if you multiply that times, you know, four times a year, it's going to be a pretty simple and straightforward conversation. And, um, and, you know, and, and that's to the benefit of everyone. 
I was going to say, we had on Bryce Hoffman, one of my favorite authors, although he's only written two books. You've read the book American Icon, right? And that that's, in my opinion, one of the books that belongs in the CFO book Hall of Fame. Uh, and that's the story of a, a great leader, Alan Mulally. Uh, very, very humble, very authentic, but very, I mean, he he knew where he wanted to go, very decisive. And Bryce Hoffman is the author. He's also written a book that I think is just a brilliant little book. If you like middle models, uh, if you like frameworks, he wrote the book. I believe it's called Red Teaming. And in, in Red Teaming, he talks about uh, debriefs. And and I, I would say the whole concept of debriefs is so applicable to this concept of assessments where it's ongoing. And I would just look at the cycles that a business goes through. I, I have clients where we have seasons. I have some clients where we have three seasons or four seasons. And it's like after every season, that may be the time to just step back and do a debrief. Uh, it could be that you're getting ready to launch a new product, maybe do a pre-brief and a debrief. Uh, and then obviously in the middle. So something comes up, you know, pull them aside. But you, isn't that kind of the way you work as well with your team? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how we try to, um, that's how we try to do everything. Um, there it's, you know, we've, we've typically, you know, as a leadership team, we've, you know, we've gathered, you know, quarterly to, um, kind of where have we been, where are we going? Um, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, really stay focused and communicate clearly as far as, you know, what's the most important thing that we're doing over the next, and depending on what it is, 60, 90, um, 60, 90 days, however that, you know, whatever that time frame may be, you know, and, and try to, um, try to clearly communicate that with, you know, with the team, cascade it down through the teams as necessary or talk about it, you know, in, in, you know, talk about it in our monthly, um, our monthly company meetings. So on the annual assessments, I just want to throw something out. We need to give it a different term. It's called, again, come up with a, a good name for it, but it's time where you sit down once a year and look at the goals or goal you want to accomplish over the next three months, six months, or 12 months. And who better to do that than the person that you are reporting to who can, who hopefully is that person that's helping you to grow and develop. Uh, first of all, before I go on, do you like that concept? Does that make sense? I do. I, I like, I like the concept. I think there's a, there's a lot of things that go into, and I think we'll get into them. There's a lot of things that go into making that a, uh, a logical motivating uh, conversation. I'd be very, you can't just, you can't just be a blanket. We're going to do this with every person in the company. I want you to draw a plus sign in your mind, a plus sign. And in the upper right-hand corner, you've got the individual. And the individual means you're not working in a team or you're not working in a group. It makes sense to where you have that. What do you want to try to accomplish this year? And it'd be okay to say, you know, personally, uh, I, I'd want to hear, you know, you're trying to get that house built. You got a kid going to college. Uh, I'm, I'm serious, you know, so, and by the way, this is going to be the companies who really care about their employees 
and trying to make sure this is going to be a place where they're going to grow and thrive uh, over the next 10 or so years. So in the upper right-hand corner is the individual. But then you've got three types of teams. We throw out the word teams very, very loosely. When I think of team, I was just watching David Letterman uh, uh, interview KD, Kevin Durant. So I got basketball on my mind. Uh, you, you talk about a team. Basketball is a team sport. Uh, Kevin Durant needs his other four players to be successful. That's a team. You, you can't play four and five. You can't play three and five. Then again, some of his teams uh, with Golden State could have maybe won three and five, but I, even that's no, that's probably not going to happen. So that is a team. So that may be a case where if you're on a team, the same team throughout the year, maybe you do that annual goal setting with the team, not individually. So again, I'm just throwing that out. That so that'd be the that'd be the lower part, the lower right quadrant of that plus sign. If you move over to the next side, you have what I call groups. Groups. A, a group would be a salesperson working. We we call it a sales team, but that's that's you shouldn't call it a sales team. They're not working as a team. Most salespeople work individually. They just have uh, they just report to the same person. I call that a group. So in that case, you do your annual goal setting individually, not as a team. And then the upper left corner, to finish out the the final quadrant of that plus sign, you have what we call the troop. And that's a combination of the team and a group. And then and then you have to determine do I do I it's a case where you may end up having a little bit of conversation with that troop as a group and then also individually. So I bring that up only because in the context of an annual assessment, maybe we do goal setting for the year, but I didn't want it just to be this universal, hey, you do it individually. In some cases, if you're tethered to a team, the same team for 12, 16, 18 months, you do it with the team instead of the individual. So anyway, th- thoughts about that? Pushback? No, I think that that's you know that's an interesting way to that's an interesting way to look at it. And I've, I've frankly I've never I never laid it out in that way, um, or you know particularly drawing that differentiation like the sales team um, <clears throat> versus a um, you know a team who's who's a little bit more interrelated and rely upon each other. Um, you know, so a group of individual contributors. Uh, and, you know, and how you might look at that. And I know that's always a, you know, especially with a sales team, there's always that give and take of, should we have a team goal? Should we have an individual goal? <clears throat> um, you know, and how all that works. Um, you know, I, I think that's a good way to go. I think that also the way you, the way you glue that together is, you know, you know very clearly, and as you know, in a in a you know, continued to reinforce, you know, what are the you know where are we headed, and what are the six most important things or three most important things <clears throat> that we need to do to get there, and how are we going to measure it, and how you know how are we going to decide? And when I say measure, again, going back to that, I'm not talking about data per se. How are we going to, in a fact based way? say we were successful or not there's there could be some numbers there could be some you know it, it 
It just could be occurrences that we see happen. There's a lot of different ways to do that, you know, but it's up to, it's up to the leadership teams to be able to, um, to be able to communicate those, you know, those important things that are being done and have them in a clear and concise enough way that every single person in the organization knows what's important and, you know, what are the, what are the things we're really focused on? Um, cause it's, it's all about managing, you know, because it's a lot of it's about managing the nuances of what we are asking people to do. Uh, when we, when, you know, give an assignment, we give it to do, you know, if we just give it to do with no, with no context, every to do has some nuance and some decision that has to be made along the way. Even the most, most, you know, even simple things, there's some element of nuance. That person's not going to know how to address that nuance if they don't have that bigger picture of where are we going, you know, where are we going? Why? And, and how are we going to know when we get there? I am listening to the voice of reason. It's very well <laughs> put. No, I'm serious. Uh, it's I'm very, very well uh, put. Let's say, let's say someone comes to you and they say, Bruce, I want to be paid $200,000 a year. And I'm expecting about 50% of that being variable pay on top of that. What are you going to tell them? What would Patty say? Um, I think in, in general, I think she would say, um, she, Patty was not a big fan of variable pay. Um, there, why? Because things change and you know, what's driving that variable pay may or may not be, you know, you, you, you may make a decision that's going to vary how that very, how that variable pay is going to come in negatively, but not anything that, that the individual really had anything to do with. And uh, in general, if somebody's worth, if somebody's worth the money, then they're worth the money, pay them. And, you know, if, if they're not going to bring that kind of value, you know, let's not play games with it, you know, then it's, it's going to be something less, you know, I, and I think, you know, then it's a matter of having the conversation. Okay. You're going to make $200,000. Here's, here are the things that somebody who's worth $200,000 does, you know, they, they, they lead high impact projects. They, they lead high impact teams. They're going to, you know, there's a, there's a direct relationship between their success and the company's performance. You know, it's, it's not a, you know, it, it, and, and that what's worth $200,000 here may not be worth $200,000 across the street. You know, that was the other, that was another thing I thought was interesting is that they encourage Netflix, they encourage their employees to go on interviews. Right. I forgot about that. And they, they, they use that. First of all, you got to have a pretty, you, you got to feel, you got to have a high level of confidence to have no issue with your people interviewing and, and, and be very secure as well. And, and also know that you've got a strong recruiting function that can, is able to eat, is able to maintain the back, the bench strength to not miss a beat if somebody, if somebody walks, but the way they use it was brilliant in that it's, it, it allowed them real time information um of of market value so they weren't relying on you know outdated or you know odd fit um comparisons 
you know, they knew what the market was. You know, this specific individual went across the street, interviewed, and was told they're worth $200,000 a year. That's the market right now. And that's, you know, that, that, tell, that, tells, that tells a lot. Bruce, I would love to ask Patty a question regarding private industry. So in her public company space, stock, stock options are great, but when you cash them in, they're going to be paid by, not for the, not by the company, but by the broker, right? So she might push back and say in private companies, sure, use SARS or something similar. But I'm going to say, Patty, my private company, we still have to raise the cash to fund these SARS or stock options when redeemed. So again, variable pay in public companies, I just feel like they have an advantage that we don't have in the private company sector. Well, it sounds too like they were, they were pretty open. Again, it's, it's, you know, what's going to work for you? You know, would you rather have a, a higher percentage of your comp, you know, betting on the future? And it could be, you know, you know, exponentially larger dollar figures, or do you want, you know, the 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 present value of those options right now in a reliable paycheck, you know, and, to, and some of that's going to depend on, you know, if you got bills and you need to have a reliable paycheck every month, then you're you're gonna you're gonna take the, you know, you're gonna take the the pay right now, uh, and and not bet on the future. Whereas if you're able to, and and I think uh, I liked how she said. Too, she was talking about, you know, how they described pay, and it's, you know, when a, when a pay talented people what it's going to take for their family to maintain a lifestyle that's comfortable and pleasant, you know, and and that the thing is that goes all the way back to my you know the the guy I always come back to Robert Townsend, you know, and talking about you know how do you <clears throat> you know how how do you set compensation. And that was one of the things that he, he would, he would always say is it's, you know, what does, you know, pay, pay the person what they need to, to, you know, maintain a lifestyle that will work for them and their family, you know, in some ways to say, to, you know, eliminate the the distractions that come with not being able to, you know, to having to scratch and claw, but that, you know, some of these, you know, quote incentives, you know, don't always incent the right behavior. And, you know, if they put somebody in a position where they can't meet their obligations, you create another set of problems that, that you, you don't really get the benefit from. Don't necessarily get the business performance benefit from by putting somebody in a position where they're in trouble. I wonder if Trader Joe, Joe Kalum, Red Townsend because his compensation philosophy was to pay a little bit more, put pay a little bit higher than market value, a little bit higher. So he had people who were working by a cash register making forty plus thousand dollars a year. You could go home and make a living off that. They'd have to they have to go home and think about a second job or a third job. And that's a great, great point. Uh before we move on couple of things I want to throw at you. I get tired and worn out and I think it's lazy writing or it's just a way to get eyeballs 
uh, attracted to the article, but the concept of uh, CFOs. And again, this probably applies to every profession. Get interested in other parts of the business. To me, that's a duh. Uh, my first controllership position, I knew every function in the business. I would even spend a day working in a warehouse because I wanted to understand. I didn't do any truck driving, but I spent some time in tractor trailer. I, I just, I, I, I was very inquisitive. And Patty, Love Netflix because she got to learn how scripts are written. She got to learn how movies are created. She became very enamored with IT and the whole data collection process about their customers. Did you find that inspiring? Uh, I mean, that wasn't something she focused on. It just came out uh, in the words. It was inspiring as she brought that stuff yeah, up? Yeah, I, I thought it was inspiring. I thought it, I thought it made perfect sense. Um, it made me also recognize, and I think I mentioned earlier, you know, there's, and if, if I didn't, it might've been when we were, when, when we were um, talking, um, talking beforehand, but, you know, I've worked with a lot of really talented um, HR people and, um, and actually at, at practice link to um, the two folks that have held senior um, HR leadership roles have embodied that. Um, I remember when I, I first started with practice link and had a um, was picked up um, was picked up by our, um, our, our HR leader at, at the airport and taken to our West Virginia office. And, and along the way, our entire conversation was about um, was about it and was about the software and I mean, she knew, she knew how the software was engineered. She knew how, you know, how the engineers worked. And I mean, had this really, you know, total beginning to ending uh, understanding. It was, um, I mean, I remember th- sitting, sitting there, sitting there in the passenger seat thinking, wow, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to learn this business because that's the expectation. Um, and our, our, our current HR uh, senior leader is, is also that way knows, um, you know, started, um, at, at our entry level position and has done when, you know, has had experience and insight into all of the various elements, um, of the company and really understands it from beginning to end. And that works because they know the kind of people that'll, you know, the kind of people that will work in, in, in each of the roles. You and I, both have this sarcastic streak in us. We're also skeptical mm-hmm. people by nature as well. And when a group of people are talking about a certain topic over and over and over, it may mean we want to run in the other direction. Is culture at the, are we at the point with culture where we're talking about it too much or is it just enough? I I come from the school that there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. There were great companies 200 years ago where people were treated greatly, uh, yep. and and they were listened to. They had a they were part of the inner circle. Uh, so a lot of the things we hear on culture, to me, there's nothing new under the sun. Period. Mm-hmm. I'm just period. Yep. 
uh, I think we have access to better research. Uh, we, we have better understanding of what uh, incentivizes uh, people, what motivates people. But I think good leaders have been around for ages. Right. And so they know, they, they know what it takes to have some strong cohesion and collaboration in this team or group or troop process. So the question, and, and again, we got Patty McCord uh, front and center in our minds, is culture overrated or is it rated just right? I think it's rated just right. Um, but with that said, I think some of it, like like everything else that that we talk about, and, and everything I talk about, or 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 believe in, is I think we've got it right. But I don't think that there's any cookie cutter, and I do feel like, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you're not. If you talk about a certain type of culture, you're not going to make any money on your book if it's exactly like the previous book or the next book isn't going to be like yours. And I, you know, and I tell people from time to time is, you know, when you go to the bookstore, you know, if you, if there's still a bookstore near where you live, you know, what's one of the biggest sections of the entire bookstore and it's business and leadership, you know, so, so nobody's got the right answer. Um, now, but can, can I stop you sure. for a minute? You do know that people like us who are sarcastic and skeptical, we don't call them business books. We call them self-help books. Oh, yes. Yes. The, and, and I, I think that, and in some ways, you know, I, I think the only, the only place that really gets business 100% correct is Dilbert. Um, but, and, and, you know, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but that's a good but, one. Um, you know, the, the, the one thing I always, I, I look at, and we talked about it earlier was when you look at these different ways of doing things, would this company have been successful doing it anyway, doing anything, having the worst culture, having the best culture, you know, underpaying people, overworking them, undervaluing them, you know, would, would Netflix have, have still been Netflix, it, you know, one way or the other. So it's like, I, I don't think we can look at any of these. I don't think we can look at a, a culture or a, a way of doing things and saying, this is the, this is the magic answer because we don't know that that would have, you know, that it applies to every, to every business, to every group of people and to, to everything that you want to get done. Um, you know, I think, you know, learning different things about culture. Um, I mean, so let's say, yeah, culture is important. The type of culture or how you go about it has to be in your own manner and style. It has to be, it has to be genuine. It has to be something that you can do every day, whether you're in a good mood, a bad mood, you're tired, you're energized, um, you know, hopeful, despondent or whatever. It's got to be what it's got to be real. and It's got to be what you can do repeatable, you know, if you can do in a repeatable manner and, and has to be, you know, has to be legitimate. I think as long as you, you know, that, that genuine, genuine approaches to things is, uh, is vital. These are your words. So is culture a multiplier or not? <sighs> you know, it depends on whether the easy answer for, um, for culture, because again, one of the things Patty mentions in the book, you know, they looked at, 
they looked at they looked at departments and they measured their the success, their measurable success and their satisfaction. And they found that some of the most successful departments hated their jobs. Their satisfaction was was the pits. Um, and I think they found some too where the satisfaction was very high and they weren't being successful. Yeah, it can be a multiplier, I think, in some ways. Um, whether or not you're multiplying by a positive number or a negative number, you know, kind of depends on how you go about doing it. And if it's, you know, if you're really being genuine to to yourself, to your people and what the business needs. And and that's a great way, that's a great lens to look at any, whether it's a team, a department or business satisfaction versus results. That is fascinating. And I don't think we can end this discussion without the, um, you know, without one of Patty's quotes in there was you're building a team, not a family. Exactly. Well, you're you're building, you know, and then a team constantly revamps their roster. I mean, every season, you know, you, there's a few, there's a few members of the team that are going to move on and you bring some new members in and sometimes you change some leadership and, you know, change, you know, strategic approaches and things. So, you know, and, and it didn't sound cold when she said it um, there, but yeah, it's, it's, you're, you're not, a company's not a family is, is her point. I will just say th- this was an enjoyable book to listen to. I, this is one of my 30 or so books that I will re-listen to and I, she, she is just, she's someone I would want to spend time with uh, over coffee, just talking just casually uh, about this topic. You've got the last word. Why should a CFO read or listen to this book? And I don't care if you say, why should a CMO, a chief marketing officer, an operations general manager read this or a CEO why should any non-HR person read or listen to Patty's book? I think there's um, a, a couple things. First of all, it's a, you know, like I say, a little bit of a myth, a myth buster. In you know, you're 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 building a you know, building a team, not a family. Um, there, it's I think it's you know, again, it's the build bust the myth of satisfaction uh, or engagement equals success. Um, and and I think that what what Patty does with this book is she, in a very in a way that's very empathetic to employee needs, um, but reemphasizes that ultimately we're here to achieve we're here to make the company more successful. Um, that's the that's the purpose for being employed. That's the purpose for being here. And when you when you look at when you look at employee engagement and culture for through that lens. It really, um, it really translates to what we're all here to do, uh, which is to, to, to find the right people, make, you know, provide them an awesome place to work. Um, as our friend Brian Jones says, you know, try to be the best boss that that person has ever had. Um, and, you know, and to look at you, but to always be looking at things through, you know, what is going to lead to the greatest success, uh, for the business. And that's what we all have to focus on. So I, I think there's a, there's a message in here and a lesson to be learned by any person at any part of an organization. Last question. What are you reading or listening to right now? Ooh. Um, so I got, I went back to, um, I got a little bit more focus on, um, 
the information uh, technology side of the business uh, again. So I am uh, I am listening to um, just got finished listening to Unicorn Project, um, G- the Gene Kim follow up to Phoenix Project. Uh, and I'm also listening to the um, re-listening to DevOps Handbook on Wondery. I am listening to in the Business Wars um, series, listening to Crypto Wars, uh, which is a you know kind of a you know entertain you know business entertainment uh, type of thing. And then I am reading the Mango series um, as far as my casual reading goes, and it's. Um, it's a everything mango is is around this um this city in Florida and this guy gets in these these different he lives in a he lives in an RV and gets in these different adventures uh, with these different people he meets so it's a nice easy fun read and it's you know and it's free with the unlimited membership so how how about you I thought I was going to be off nope. the hook uh I'm reading a book and I'm listening to a book. The book I'm reading right now, I'm on chapter 10. It's built to fail. Oh. <laughs> and it's for a, it's for an up it's for an upcoming uh, podcast interview uh, with the author. It's about it's this is so coincidental. So coincidental. It's it's a story of Blockbuster and it's by one of the owners of about 20 to 30 Blockbuster stores that were very successful even though Blockbuster was spiraling out of control. So that is a great book. Uh, Excellent. And then I'm listening. I'm listening to East of Eden. I'm on about chapter 22. That's about not quite 50% done. And it's John Steinbeck. I love it. I absolutely love it. I hated Grapes of Wrath. East of Eden, I'm loving it. It's, it's almost like a That's soap a, opera. It's like, okay, what's gonna what's gonna happen next? Book. What's gonna happen next? Uh, really, really like it. So th- those are mine uh, too. Cool. All right. Well, this is good. We'll do this again yeah, soon. I can't brother. wait. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf: Lifelong Learning for Financial Leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. By the way, that book that I was mentioning a few minutes ago, Built to Fail by Alan Payne, we recorded this conversation more than a month ago. So I finished that book about a month ago as well. It is outstanding. And just coincidentally, we will be interviewing Alan Payne this coming week. And again, it is a great conversation. Great book. Again, it's about the fail, the failure of Blockbuster, uh, Built to Fail. In the book, Powerful. So back to Patty McCord, she references this culture deck that was uploaded to SlideShare back in 2009. So if you want to do a search on this, go to slideshare.net and key in culture. 2009 version, specifically culture, original 2009 version. The reason I'm spelling this out for you is because there's more than one version. Uh, This version has 1.2 million views, 1,800 likes to it. So it's a great slide that you maybe have seen it. If not, I just want to call out 
a few slides. And by the way, it's 127 pages or slides. And it does say it's not meant to be presented. It's meant to be read. And I just want to point out five different slides. Slide number 30 or page 30. It's called the keeper test managers use. Which of my people, if they told me they were leaving in two months for a similar job at a peer company, would I fight hard to keep at Netflix? You could ask the same question in your business. Do you have a keeper test? Page 68, the Netflix vacation policy and tracking. There is no policy. I love that. Number 72, regarding policies for expensing, entertainment, gifts, and travel, act in Netflix's best interest. Now, that was also in the book. Slide or page 77. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up, don't drum up people together wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea, and that's from the little, little, little prince. And on compensation, Bruce and I talked about that. This is in the book, whether Netflix is prospering or floundering, we pay at top of market. How about you? Do you all pay at top of market? How's it work in your business? And then the last slide that resonates, it's 127. Need a culture that avoids the rigidity, politics, mediocrity, and complacency that infects most organizations as they grow. Does that describe the culture in your company? Guys, we need to call this a wrap. Again, powerful by Pat and McCord. Recommend it. It's five stars. The audio version is excellent. I have a feeling if you listen to it once for the first time, it will not be the last. Hey, I want to thank my friend, uh, Bruce Reed, CFO at Practice Link. This guy is amazing. And don't be afraid. Look him up on LinkedIn, connect with him, ask him some questions. If you are also a CFO or an HR person, because Bruce, uh, his acumen is strong in HR as well, among other things. But anyway, Bruce, thank you uh, very much, brother. Guys, we need to call this a wrap. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf. Thank you.